coming up on this week's episode of the Data Ops Podcast. Cloud adoption is accelerating. It's like an exponential growth in cloud adoption. And with that, with that, the database adoption into the cloud has accelerated alongside. And I think you will see it more. I think you will see a lot more happening in this space compared to you would have seen a couple of years ago. Hey guys, welcome to the Data Ops Cloudcast. I'm your host, Banjo Biami. I'm Victoria Guido. And today we're going to talk about databases and cloud and migration, all that cool stuff with data and cloud. And we have a special guest to talk to us about that. Hi, my name is Asha. I'm Asha Kalbergi. And by profession, I'm a database architect. I have been working with databases, I guess, more than 15 years and have been involved in some shape or form, been very passionate about DevOps for databases as well. And now recently I got to these wonderful tasks and projects that move a lot of data into the cloud, which is the need of the time, by the way. So we are here to talk all about data and in the cloud. Right, from DevOps to data ops. So you see mm -hmm. DevOps was the cool thing, but now data is really a focus for a lot of companies. So I guess in terms of cloud, why should I move my data to the cloud is the first, first step. Right. So the basic thing that we as a community of software developers are realizing is that cloud has a lot of things to offer. As a programmer, you have already seen the software on demand, the infrastructure on demand, all these capabilities. These capabilities are only so much without your data being alongside with you. So the cloud adoption, it accelerated several years ago and now most of the new development as I have been seeing is happening in the cloud. But without the data being there, there are so many limitations. That's number one. The number two is the footprint, right? Everybody now is like, if I can use an on-demand service, if I can use an infrastructure on demand, why am I paying the huge data center cost? The project that I'm working on, they are currently consolidating many of their assets just to reduce the cost and the footprint of the overall. And this is the direction most of the CTOs and CEOs of the company are taking because of the obvious advantages that everybody was harping on the cost control, the cost optimization, and the speed of development, and the agility that you need. You don't like something, you scrap it. Right? You, can, you can experiment often, you can fail often, and then you have a path to success much easily. So that went on for a long time. And what we are at the cusp of this new era where we are realizing, oh wait, where is data? We need data to be alongside, especially now that these um, Big projects are thinking about going into microservices, going into this new way of development software. They need their data to be available and also in a format which lets them cut the cost and also be agile. Open source databases, we didn't hear much about them. Nowadays, they are in the because uh, cloud providers have made the accessibility for the databases much easier. You no longer have to have DBA specialists to manage the infrastructure, the backend, 
the backups, recovery. And so now everybody is thinking about, oh wait, we can have so much flexibility and cost saving and then develop applications right there where our software is. That's gotta be efficient. And so it ensures availability, number one. It ensures agility for development of the software and then security. That's a very important aspect that everybody is considering. If the data stays in the data center and then your code is in the cloud, you are still crossing the boundary. You're still having to maintain those firewalls. And so I think, I think the adoption of this notion that data has to go into the cloud has accelerated within the recent past more so than earlier. Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you more about the trade-offs between the different types of database technologies you choose in AWS. You mentioned about some of the administrative tasks that you still have to take on if you're just gonna put it in the EC2. Maybe you could talk more about that. Sure, so once you say, why do you wanna go into the cloud, then you need to think about how, and that there are various ways you could do it. And that actually depends on how your current system is. So as a DBA or a database developer, we know that we kind of have been married to one of the technologies. Let's say like, for example, my database, we use Oracle databases. And then we tend to use all the features of the Oracle database, which then are kind of like specialized to this RDBMS or the Relational Database Management Service. And the consideration that you have to have when you're planning your migration is, are the same features available in the cloud. So coming to the cloud providers, if you look at, let's say example, just take Amazon. Amazon has multiple different offerings by which you can stand up your database. Number one, you can say, take a, just a computer, like a server, like an EC2 instance, and install it like you would in a server in the data center. What that does is, however, is it puts the responsibility of managing your entire database, the backups, the recovery, the server patching, everything on you. But the flexibility is if you are using, let's say Oracle advanced queues, or if you want to have access to the operating system itself, which you need for your project, by the way, it's in your specifications that you have to have access to the operating system level to get that. And then the, on, the other, on the flip side is, if you do not have this requirement that you want to have access to the operating system, the underlying OS itself, you could go with one of the managed services. Now what managed services is, this is where the heavy lifting, indifferentiated heavy lifting is done by Amazon Web Services, where they will not give you access to the operating system. You won't have any access to the OS, but you will then not worry about the backups, the maintenance, the patching that has to happen on a regular basis. So your trade-off is how much flexibility you want versus how much control you actually lose. So Amazon has three different levels you could go. One is the one that I mentioned, you stand up your own server, install your database, and then you are like a data center DBA, right? So you need a developer and a DBA to manage it. Second thing is called as a relational database service where they offer it as a service. So it's, it's like a software as a service offering where you are now able to just use this service, use your database, but you do not get the OS access. You don't have to worry about where it is, when is it gonna be patched? Where are the backups? Automated backups keep happening. 
and you can configure everything about the database, right from the backup window to how many days you want to keep the backup by just a simple API call. And the next level of that offering would be serverless, where it's like database service as you go. You don't have to even look at your server. It's a serverless offering where it's always available. So the reliability goes way high up than the cost as well as the amount of the, the access that you get to the database to the base level that goes down. So it really depends upon what you are trying to achieve. What's your end goal? Cost saving definitely comes. Yeah, another thing with, with databases, let's say like I'm a like an IT admin, DBA admin, and I always hear these gloom and doom stories about cloud data, like leaky bucket or someone got this credential. So what would you say to like alleviate those fears of putting data in the cloud? Yes, those were genuine concerns. I would agree. But those concerns were almost as amplified even when you had your access or uh, your database housed in, the, housed in the data center because the security of your credentials was as good as you could guard that, right? So you could even have a harder hardware security model where you're host, hosting your uh, credentials, right? You could have a DBA, the infrastructure people manage your credentials and rotate them frequently. Well, guess what? Here in the cloud world, you also get a cloud wall, you get a secrets manager where you could safely guard and also audit access to each of your credentials. So not only do you get the freedom of not managing the security that manages your credentials, but you also get to audit every single time your credentials are accessed and used so you could go from not worrying about who uses my credentials to, oh, I want to know who accessed it when and how many times in a day and how many were failed attempts too. So those, what do you say, call that concerns that we had or the arguments we had have been pretty much eliminated. The software, um, the SDKs readily are available, which let you directly read the secret from the secret manager rather than having them in plain SQL files. So, that's an advantage that you could get if you are in that um, environment where all your applications and everything is together. The cloud really takes a lot of the pressure off manually building up stuff. I don't have to do things myself. I kind of, a lot of that stuff's in the background. I can focus on delivering value for our customers. Right, so you are not worrying about these mundane tasks that you call that just the DBA task, like when can I recycle my password? When can I, uh, how, who can access my password? Who, how do I send them? Do I send them using SFTP? Do I send them in a cryptographic way? So now you can say here, if you have access to AWS, and if you have a role that can access it, you have access. Moreover, Nowadays, we are not even giving them the password. We're saying if your application needs access, we are letting them assume the role. And that's how the secrets are being managed in the cloud. And the other thing that we wanted to talk about migration is migration. Sure, now you have decided, right? We said three different ways you can migrate your data into the cloud. You have decided, you've looked at your specific, right? I want full control of my OS, or I'm ready to give up my OS operating system control for some features that I can use. Still, there is a lot that goes into it. There is something called as a homogeneous migration. And the one thing that more and more people are considering now is called as heterogeneous migration. So 
when you say homogeneous migration is you're keeping the database underlying database engine the same so you have an oracle database on prem and you want to set up an oracle database in the cloud but guess what you are paying a lot more money in licensing costs still to oracle corporation because you have to either bring your own license with you which many people do actually and then or you have to purchase an instance with the license so that definitely adds the cost and so the other option is think about step number two how can i now choose a database technology which is open source and so that brings us to questions like do I really need a proprietary database system or can I get away with a PostgreSQL database, which is open source? And it is, it has evolved very much to be compatible with a, as good as an Oracle relational database technology. You talk about advanced queuing, you talk about foreign data wrappers, you talk about replication. So most of the features that Oracle has to offer are already available in PostgreSQL, and it has a great community of contributors that they are adding more and more with every single version, and they have a new release almost every year now. And the thing is that if you are in the cloud, you as a DBA or a developer, you don't have to worry about a minor version upgrade from previous version to next version because you can let the cloud provider handle that for you as long as you have verified that it's not breaking any of your code. So you still have to do your due diligence of, is this version upgrade going to break my application? But you really don't have to sit there and apply it in development and testing and staging and pre-prod and prod like five environments and plan it all. You can leave it to the maintenance window. So once you talk about this, when we were talking about hetero heterogeneous uh, migrations, so you can go from an Oracle database to a Postgres database. And uh, you can say, oh, wow, that's gonna be tricky because the data types are a little different. The way the database code is written is different. The figures are different. The synonyms are different. There's a lot of things that are different. But what, what recently has changed is, or uh, Amazon has come up with the helpful tools, like, and these tools, they help you. They help you converting your existing RDBMS and seeing how much of the effort is involved. And it's called as a schema conversion tool. So what this tool does basically is, it lets you point your, this tool will point to the source database, let's say it's Oracle, right? You can connect your database and say, what's my target? Let's say I want to convert it to MySQL or I want to convert it to PostgreSQL. What it's going to do is it's going to run through this automated process and it's going to produce a detailed report for you at the end, which is going to tell you, you cannot automatically convert 20% of the items. For these 25% of the items, you have to have some manual work involved. And that could be rewriting the triggers, that could be changing the data types of some of the objects. But the thing is, you do not have to spend time in reinventing the wheel, if you will, to say, if I wanna convert from a number data type to an integer data type, what do I have to do? 
Or if I have to have a trigger which is calling another foreign data wrapper on the source, how can I implement it in the target? And so this gives you, um, as a lead database developer, if I'm looking at it, it gives me a talking point, go to my manager and say, hey, 75% of our code can be automatically converted. Let's figure out what can we do with the 25%. And if your report says, oh, the effort is 50%, then you might as well say, okay, today we're gonna go from Oracle in the data center to Oracle in the cloud. And we can then plan the migration from Oracle to Postgres or refactoring from Oracle to Postgres at the latest. So that gives you a lot of flexibility as well. The, um, this AWS SCT is a wonderful tool just to check out, it's free. It's a simple download, you download, point it to your source and the target and you have a PDF report, you have a detailed Excel report as well. I personally used it because recently I was tasked with migration of a complete reporting database and it had 22 schemas in there. I basically did one by one produce reports and I realized that 75% of my load is automatically converted. So out of 22 schemas, I had like 15 that automatically converted and I had just to produce. And what it does is it gives you a SQL script. This is your source SQL script. This is your target SQL script. So it tells you exactly. And the rest of the stuff, you have to manually go line by line and figure it out. And so that really helps us in um, actually planning and implementing the migration. Uh, I was just gonna ask like, while you're migrating, are there any like testing or pipeline kind of tools that you use to set up to make sure that the application's like still functioning and getting the right data as you're going through the migration process? So um, migration process, the, the second step of this, after this you have done your schema conversion, the migration of the data is a whole nother step, right? Which can also be done in steps. So think of your migration as a two-step process. The number one is you have this entire workload in your data center, right? And what you can say is, we are gonna benchmark this data center uh, database at today's date. And we are gonna bring this entire load into the cloud and point our application and see if it works. Because if you are changing the RDBMS, even if you are changing the DNS of your database connections, you can check it that way but there is a follow-on to that. There's a follow-on step, which is how are you going to replicate the ongoing changes, right? So that's where um, the data migration service tool that comes in handy because that, what that lets you do is you can plan your migration as two-step process. You can say, first, get me all the data. And it could take uh, from three hours to 40 hours, depending upon your data that exists in the data center, but then you have a baseline to work with. So let's say you have created this benchmark baseline where now I'm ready to start putting my application, pointing my applications in the lower environment, which is a test environment. If that works, then I can go back now and set up a replication. And most of the time, actually it's suggested that you do a one-time migration of data, test everything, then set up a replication, which is like copying data as it changes. And that I have seen with my project at least, Amazon's DMS service is able to replicate the data within seconds. My database is fairly small, but for larger databases, it may take a little bit to get started, but you are able to set up 
like 64 parallel jobs, which will move your data near real time from your data center into the cloud database. And with that being set up now, the only task you have is completely tested, have both of them running. And so your downtime for the application, you can literally reduce it to like a couple minutes. Or if you set up a multi-AZ, which is highly available infrastructure for your databases, you can have no downtime at all. So it all depends, like, how are you comfortable? What are you comfortable? Is it some mission critical? Then you have to set up two server nodes and then you can bring one on, bring one off. But yeah, so migration of data is just the next step of it. Version of your schema, if you're thinking, that would some, certainly take some time. You would be surprised at how many systems use uh, or need a operating system level access. So what, what will happen in that case is, oh, I need operating system level access. So now I have to figure out either I'm doing an EC2 or I decide to rewrite my application right? Rewrite my application completely so that I don't have to rely on an OS system access. What, what happens in that way is you are saving the money on a DBA, a specialized DBA to manage your database from day to day. And um, as far as, you know, the cost, cost from an architect perspective is a big portion of why you are moving the data to the cloud because you are paying for the data center. If you are using Let's say you have at least two copies of your data on the data center. You at least want the same setup in the cloud. So you will want to do um, a evaluation of, am I making any cost savings? And then your risk itself is going to cost some money because the data movement does cost. Like for my project, I'm spending nearly like $500 a month only on the migration service in addition to the database cost itself, right? So my database cost is probably 50% more than the migration service. So all these things, you can actually run a cost simulation, which is called as a cost explorer in Amazon. You can run that and it will give you the pricing of all these um, features that you want to use on the cloud side. From a developer perspective, there are so many tools and pathways to getting stuff to the cloud. So I feel like how, how would you describe the best way for someone new to the cloud to start learning how to utilize these database tools and migrating data to the cloud? Right. So I have so far only worked with the Amazon's tools. And so for my own experience, when I had nothing going on for me, what I basically did was set up a test database on my local machine and downloaded my AWS schema conversion tool know, pointed it to that. So of course my source database, like my local database also had some legit data. I took a data dump from the test environment and put it there. And I ran the schema conversion tool and it basically helped me figure out if I can convert it to MySQL, if I can convert it to PostgreSQL. And I also ran a report to say if I can convert it to NoSQL. So NoSQL report was much like a larger, like 80% of the code would have been rewritten for that. And the another cool functionality of AWS schema conversion tool is that you can also give it the code library, like your application code, and it will also tell you how much effort is needed to modify your application code itself. In addition to rewriting the database code, 
if you give it the application code files, it will tell you the efforts needed to modify your application code. So let's say you have a simple node application or a Python application where you're connecting to database and doing some simple CRUD operations. And if you're deciding to go from Oracle to Postgres, this schema conversion tool will be able to give you steps like the code, new code version of your application code to apply on the, on the other side. And so I basically took this report and 90% of my objects were really easily converted. I had an issue with synonyms, research synonyms. Like how do I do that? Oh, in Postgres it works differently. You create roles and you grant roles. No need to create synonyms. I just did that research and created my target SQL scripts. And there you go. So you have to have your database ready and you can apply your code scripts. So I would say getting started is fairly easy. If you want to get your hands on there, everything is available. For the next part, which is you actually move the data, you're going to have to pay some money because those instances are not free. But you could use the one-year free service from AWS where you have 750 instance hours free to actually try that as well. So uh, setting up data migration tasks, it's, it's as simple as saying, this is my source, this is my target, connect to source, can you connect? Yes. Can you connect to target? Yes. Okay, then set up the migration. So it has logical steps that you could do um, one by one, follow that. And um, I found that the debugging is also easily available for Amazon. And this is me speaking only Amazon because I have used it, but Azure has similar services too. I don't know the details of implementation of those, but I know that they have similar tools available for you to easily migrate your database workload into the Azure uh, cloud, if you will. One thing, a lot of the databases we've been talking about have been like traditional SQL databases. So I was wondering about cloud native databases. So these are databases I'm not gonna run on my machine that are run purely in the cloud. Can you talk about how would we start converting like a traditional SQL database to something like a, one of the cloud native databases like DynamoDB, for example, in Amazon? So, so when you say DynamoDB, these are cloud native, this is actually a NoSQL database. So DynamoDB is nothing but a NoSQL database, which is like a key store, a key value pair store. Um, in addition to that, you would also be able to do like a document DB. So like I said, so setting up DynamoDB table is no different than setting up a table in the other relational database. The only thing is you have an additional step of the software. And what, what you actually use in your application, right? That totally depends upon your requirement. Like for example, if I'm using my relational database as basically a key store, right? You are basically storing key value pairs in your relational database. I might as well skip that whole step of either Postgres or Oracle and just set up a DynamoDB. The data migration tool that I spoke to earlier, you could migrate a data from S3 bucket into a relational database, or you could migrate a data from SQL database into an S3 bucket as a CSV, and then use Athena service to query that, right? So you could say, I do, do not need a database. I just have a bunch of CSV files or Excel files, which is just kind of a relational database. Put everything in S3, set up an Athena query engine on top of it, query the data. You really do not need to do that. 
Where the database engines come in handy is these enterprise or ERP level projects, right? For example, I have a reporting database where there are 10 different sources that are feeding the data and we are massaging the data and converting the data and somehow creating a business value from that data. So that's where a relational database or a data warehouse makes sense. And also you can imagine the databases that have been in production since like 1980. They, you cannot convert them overnight. So like I said, that's why for majority of the tasks that I have seen or projects that I have seen, I guess the obvious step is you cannot refactor everything within a matter. Let's say your CTO says, oh, go in the cloud by end of 2021 you will not be able to refactor your entire code base to use a DynamoDB or any other database for that matter. Mm -hmm. How do you do it? Okay, step one, get into the cloud. <laughs> step two, start refactoring. And that's what we are doing on our projects too, is like, okay, any new development, think about how can I not use an Oracle or a Postgres database? Can I get away with a DynamoDB? You will be surprised to know that you could design the Dynamo database, DynamoDB table and the entire database as a relational database. You could have a set of you know, local, keys, uh, local indexes, primary indexes, and have a parent-child relation exactly simulated in DynamoDB. Question is refactoring of the code, right? So database as an entity is rarely independent you will, maybe the reporting database is an independent entity. You don't need to worry about it because the consumer at the end is just running some reports. There's no application talking to it. There's no application updating it at the same time as somebody else. That's where the relational database comes into, the referential integrity, the data integrity portion of that, and the asset compliance. If you don't need it for that much, for your application, sure, run it from an S3. <laughs> Cares. The other cool factor that you could do for um, database storage is we all know that some of the data loses its value, right? 10 years ago, this data was valuable, but we have to maintain it for audit purposes. There's no other way around it. So what you could do potentially to save cost is any data that is older than seven years and you don't need it for compliance purpose, but you have to keep holding to it, put it in S3. And rest of your data can stay in the cloud so that you are reducing your footprint, but you are also making it more efficient. I guess enterprise use cases definitely have a lot of different things to consider. So uh, I know one thing in data ops is delivering value and analytics to customers that need it within your data. So I know Amazon has a service called Redshift. Can you maybe talk about what that is and how that's different from like the traditional database? So Redshift is basically a uh, data warehousing capability, right? So Redshift is for reporting purposes, majority of the time. You do not use Redshift as a relational database service. Like you do not use a data warehousing for relational database, same way. So the analogy is if your Oracle database is your RDBMS, it's your RDS. And if you have a warehouse, say with SAP or business objects, that is your Redshift. The advantage is that the data that you can move to Redshift is A, very efficient, B, very scalable, C, very, very reliable. So 
most of the time the warehouses you see an issue of scalability and availability because the data already is huge and then you are spending that much amount of time effort and money on these reliability and availability what redshift does is it can let you consume data from any source but then it's scalable you really do not have to worry about the storage part of it for my experience like if you use um when you look at the database offerings from Amazon, the cloud native database that they have designed. So coming back to this relational database, right? You have, you have your database on EC2, right? That's the primitive kind, I call that a primitive database. And then you have a relational database service. But what Amazon did is they designed their database from scratch. They said, if I have to design a database today in the cloud, what would I do? So they created this Aurora, database. So this era is compatible, like it's a fully backward compatible with your MySQL or your PostgreSQL, but the underlying architecture is completely different and it's based on this um, replication of data across all three availability zones. So what that does is it frees you up. And so either you take a relational database or your Redshift, you as a DBA, you as a developer, you don't have to worry. It has freed up DBA's time to get more creative and actually move the DBA into a development field and actually worry about the application, right? So now they're able to focus on how can my application be better? Great, that's a lot of really great information. Um, I had a question just about yourself. I know you transitioned from being a more traditional DBA into DevOps and data ops. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. So, um, like I said, I'm a traditionally, I'm an application DBA, which is where um, from the beginning, like uh, I did work as a core DBA, if you will, who just worries about the database and doesn't know what's going on with the application for the longest period of time. But then I've been mostly an application DBA, which means I get to work with the requirement people, the customer, understand their requirements, and also work side by side with the application's code to then suggest the best possible database architecture that works for them. And what I noticed was right around the time of 2009, 2010, was when this agile software development was a huge, there was a huge push towards that, but also DevOps was coming, becoming more mainstream. And so I'll tell you a funny story. So I was like, okay, we are redesigning this new project. We are refactoring everything. We are scrapping everything in new. And Oh, by the way, Ms. Asha, you're going to set up a database and we are going to deploy the database code like this, like we are doing now. And I had a huge pause at the time. I'm like, sure, you're doing Jenkins for code delivery and you are thinking that the database will still go through the normal deployment cycle of somebody has to sit at 10 o'clock, verify all the 10 scripts, run them one by one, produce the log, send it to the developer. They have to. I mean, why, why? And at the time it was funny because nobody kind of was talking about how can you do a push button deployment? It wasn't even called a push button deployment. It was like, how can you do a continuous integration for database? Because there is data, right? The data, the persistence of the data is different than persistence of the code. You could rewrite the jar. You can rerun the jar multiple times. You can deploy the same jar, doesn't matter. You cannot deploy the database change multiple times. If you delete the same column, if you update the data five times, it might change 
your initial state and the final desired state will not match. And so we had this fun conversation where, how can we do that? And so there was a lot of research involved into that. At the time, there were not many CICD tools available around. And I can talk a little bit more to what is available nowadays in the CICD space for database. But at the time, there were not. And so we found this uh, Maven tool. So Maven was our choice of tool for continuous integration into uh, pipeline. And we found this funky little plugin for Maven that we had to hack around to create a groovy script basically to order scripts and apply them and how to separate the DDLs from DMLs. Like how can you update, how can you separate the change to the structure from change to the data? And how can we even manage uh, the referential integrity while doing? There was a lot of refactoring and I don't know if you have uh, heard about database refactoring it's a real step. Like you completely have to change how a database change is occurring. You have to change your mindset. You have to go from state A to state B while maintaining data. So that was a lot of fun to figure out, but then we were able to get it off and running. And fortunately enough, when we went live, we had a push button deployment for our database code too. What it did was that we had to take, take some extra steps. So if you are into this data ops journey, you, will, you should be ready to have three different testing environments. And you should be ready to populate the three different testing environments with data, with real data that you can test with. Otherwise your database deployments might fail. So that was then. Um, recently though, uh, database CI/CD space has grown, right? So you have, uh, multiple tools are available which are actually able to track the changes to your database. So you have Liquibase is one of my favorite tools that I have used recently. What it does is it uh, basically tracks any changes that has happened to your database and it lets you know what version your database actually is at. So there is no like, did we deploy this code or did we not? It's all available to you and you can treat the changes to your database in small increment call change sets that are easily traceable. I, Sounds like and the cool, a database. <laughs> yeah, the cool part is you don't even have to know SQL. If you are working on a small project, your database change could be in a YAML file. It could be in an XML file. So what that does is now you don't have to worry about the, the RDBMS that is underlined. Like if the syntax is different, you really don't have to worry about it. It's a very feature-rich tool that you can use for your database development nowadays. That wasn't the case in 2010, I would, <laughs> I would tell you that. I'm very glad that <laughs> Liquibase is, I'm using Liquibase now in my current project as well for a CI/CD of the database. It is challenging, but it's much more easier than before. Mm -hmm. So CI/CD for database is also becoming mainstream now. And now with this new term that has come up, oh, it's not that new, it's been there, but it's picking up steam now with data ops. It's, it's getting up and front and center. The value of data is how much can you derive, the information that you can derive and make business decisions and data ops has brought it to the forefront. The whole, whole paradigm shift that data is the is the new business value driving feature is coming into the picture more and more, I would say now. And having your data in the cloud makes it more accessible and drives that kind of 
business decisions, basically. So we, we have seen the Gartner's recent report, right? Like cloud adoption is accelerating. It's like an exponential growth in cloud adoption. And with that, with that, the database adoption into the cloud has accelerated alongside. And I think you will see it more. I think you will see a lot more happening in this space compared to you would have seen a couple of years ago. I am seeing the change myself. I am seeing the change across organizations that at least my people who I know in my circuit, they are like, oh, how are we able to move the data? And I'm like practically done with migration of my reporting system in six months in, from data center into the cloud. And uh, organizations are very much open now to at least have a dialogue about it, right? And the reason is their new development is happening in the cloud. Mm-hmm. So that bottleneck, they're ready to eliminate now. That's awesome. Do you have any, any final thoughts or, or points for us to walk away with today? Sure. I mean, I would say um, overall in this, in this day and age, whether you choose Google Cloud, whether you choose Azure, whether you choose Amazon as your choice of cloud providers, you really have multiple ways of looking at your data in two ways. Either I wanna move as is, or I want to refactor. Like at least the organization or individual developers on the team have to think about it. Before you know it, it will become a real need. So I would say, I would say start now. Right? Any person, I know so many database developers who are, I know a DBA who doesn't even want to move to the cloud. I'm like, there's only so much you can carry. You will be extinct. I was thinking about this like several years ago. It's like, if this goes away, what is my DBA gonna do? There's no backup, there's no R man, if there is no restoration, if there is no golden gate, if there is no replication, what are they gonna do? Well, guess what? you can become more creative. So all DevOps culture is coming into the database field. And as a data engineer, I don't even call myself a DBN anymore. I call myself a DevOps database engineer. And that is going to be the reality. And the easy part is here, we have much, much, much uh, available now as compared to several years, several years ago where we had nothing to work with. And as the awareness and the need of the day grows, I find it easier and easier to uh, convince our CTOs and CEOs of this, this, you know, the real tangible cost saving and low hanging fruits that we can address now and save the pains later. And I have seen many people ask me, how can I get started? I'm like, even if you are a data person, go attend the meetup that just talk to DevOps. And that's what I did. That's how I started. Like you are a DevOps engineer. You have to change the whole thought that I'm not a database engineer. I'm a DevOps engineer. And that, that's where you bring this journey into this current, current realm where you are, you are like the pinnacle of the software development. You are no longer a DBA who works at after 10 p.m., and is responsible only from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. You are no longer that. You're a person who is able to write cloud formation code to set up your database instances and who is able to adopt to the recent technology. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. Um, now's the part we talk about upcoming events or anything you're trying to promote or share. 
From my side, I will be having a data migration. I'm planning to do a uh, workshop kind of thing or something which I did with the CICD for databases where I do a complete demo from end to end for database migration because I know that how much ever you say that this is easy, unless you see it, it doesn't make sense. So I feel like a community in general will be very much benefited from that. And I, I'm willing to share the knowledge that I have learned. I can, I'm willing to share the pitfalls I have gone through. And so nobody else has to go through the same hurdles that I did. So I will be doing a woman who code meetup with database migration service soon. And so I'm like Thanks. excited about that. Yep. And you might be uh, published an upcoming O'Reilly book. Is that right? Yes, the 97 things that every cloud engineer should know. I wrote a piece about migration of Oracle databases into AWS. It had to be cut short because of the limitation on number of words. So I, it's there. If anybody needs further guidance, hey, I'm always available. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yep, and we have another Women Who Code Career Services Day coming up on the 26th. So that's going to be really awesome. Uh, Banjo, do you have any other events you want to promote? Mm -hmm. Nothing right now. I know there's that. I am planning a data ops DC meetup sometime soon. That'll be posted hopefully for the next week. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I, have, I haven't been able to attend the last one, so I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> you spoke at one of them, I believe. So, yeah, you do like Yeah, yes, I did, but not the online ones. Right. Great. All right, well, this has been so much fun. Thank you, everybody, for, for coming on. Thank, Thank you. you. It was really fun talking with you guys about data.